to hear today. It seemed like last week we were down quite a bit in number, but I believe we were up in spirit. Amen. Uh, that song we just sang, In Christ Alone, did you read the words? Did you pay attention to what you were reading? Isn't that a good message? It's in Christ alone. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You people that get up in front of people that uh, lead things, remember to always give them the Scripture reference, then do your talking while they're finding the Scripture, right? It doesn't waste time that way. But I'll read you the words of this song. You want to put them up, Dave? Can you shoot them up? I've got them in front of me. Uh, okay, uh, no, in Christ alone. Yeah, in Christ alone. Ooh, there's a cross. In Christ alone. In Christ, do you need anything else but Christ alone? No, right? It's not like you're hopelessly uh, alone. It's, uh, that's all I need is Jesus, right? In Christ alone, my hope is found. Now, the hope is not a hope so, but it's a sure found hope. He is my light, my strength, my song. Well, that's everything, isn't it? My light ahead, my strength to go, my, my, my song. And then he says, uh, this cornerstone, which we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the ecclesia, which got me into this vein in Ephesians chapter 2. And when a preacher gets in a vein, he mines all the gold out of that vein. Then he goes and finds him another vein, and he mines the gold out of that vein. So that's what you do as a preacher. You find that vein, and you mine that gold out of it, and you give the people the truth that you got. So this cornerstone, as we got that from Christ is the head of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. Uh, this solid ground, solid foundation. Christ is that, right? Firm through the fierce drought and storm. Okay? What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. That's just God is with you, that emotional time that you need him there. Uh, okay? And my comforter, that's the Holy Spirit. My all in all. It's everything in Christ, isn't it? Here in the love of Christ, I stand. You stand in the love of Christ. You know, this is a modern song written in the last uh, century, 1999. What a shame if we would prevent a song such as this from being on our song list. It's got a great message in it. My comforter, my, okay, in Christ, yeah, go ahead. I'm ready. In Christ alone who took on flesh, that's the incarnation, Fullness of God in helpless babe incarnation that the writer's going back and going to tell the story of Jesus. This gift of love and righteousness, we know that Christ is our only righteousness and all we need righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. That's his, the reaction of the crowd, the reaction of the common person towards Christ even today. Next, uh, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. What a What a... What a lyric, amen, what a line, isn't that great? Till, and then he said, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Next. There is, uh, there is the ground, his body laid, there in the ground his body laid, light of the world by darkness slain. A poetic line there, very good, true to scripture. Then burst forth in glorious day, the resurrection is known as D-Day, right? D-Day back in uh, uh, 44, but D-Day is D-Day. Amen. Up from the grave he rose again. Uh, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse 
has lost its grip on me. Satan keeps reaching out to grab, but he can't get a hold of you. Amen? Because you're in the hand of Jesus. I, I got to get to that last line. For I am his and he is mine. It's together with Christ. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Man, this guy's a lyricist. Right? And he says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Guilt agonizes us, but the truth is all of our guilt was placed on Christ. We need to get that truth. Next line. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He's in charge of all things. He knows all things. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Isn't that a good comforting script? You can stop there. That's the one I want to get to. If I was to read that whole thing and go through that whole thing, I wouldn't have time to go to Ephesians chapter 2. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. All right, Dave, thank you. Now put up Ephesians 2. We're going to read beginning in verse 1. And as I said, this vein came out of our study on Wednesday nights where I'm trying to explain to you the importance of your church in your life, the importance of you being in your church. I'm preaching against just going around from churches to churches, but to, to, to get somewhere and get planted and to grow up in that church and have fellowship and friends and a challenge and a job and a responsibility, doing something to help that church further <clears throat> the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How old is that water? <clears throat> it's better than no water. I don't need any more. That's fine. All right, look with me. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he made alive, quickened, made alive. He's made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, this is where we were before we got saved, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, there's two things mentioned in verse 2 that I won't call your attention to. When you were not saved, you were led by the world, and unknowingly to you, you were led by the devil. You were led by the world. You probably knew that. Now that you look back, you know, man, I was following the world, doing everything they were doing, just doing what my friends were doing, just kind of doing that. But you did not know the prince of the power of the air that was at work in your life, taking you to hell. That's his goal. That's his job. Verse 3, Among whom also we all had our life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others are. We were there. But God. But God intervened, didn't he? You were this and that and going this way, but God intervened in your life Someone witnessed to you. Someone influenced you. You came to church. You came to Christ, then came to church. Something happened. It was God, that unknown, unseen hand of God at work in the world. But God, who is rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now let me tell you something about the love of God. The love of God is for every person in this world. doesn't matter what religion they are. There are some that tell you that he only loves the elect. That is contrary to Scripture. 
The scripture teaches for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves every lost person. The problem is God is holy. God cannot allow sin in his presence. And you and I are separated from God because sin, the sin of Adam, and then the sin in our life, and the only way that we can be brought to God, God doesn't send you to hell. You're headed to hell. You're headed to hell, prepared for the devil and his angels because God cannot let you in his presence because of his holiness. Only when you come to Jesus can you enter God's presence. Okay? And then it's all by the grace we're in the hand of God and we're saved. Now, we go on here, verse 5, Even when ye were dead in sins, hath he made alive, quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together. He's raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now, saved person, you are, you are going to heaven because you're already there. It just hadn't manifested itself to your mind yet. You're seated with Christ, you're with Him, you're in Him. He has gone on to heaven, and we are in Him, and we are as just as good as in heaven, if you're saved. Amen. Now he says, we're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 now, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ did y'all get that? I just had to park here just for a moment. I won't take much time. Uh, why did God save us? Ages to come. What is ages to come? That's after this, the rapture. It, it's, it's, after, uh, it's after the millennial reign, which is a thousand years. Ages to come. What does God want to do? Verse 7, That in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I don't know what God has planned for eternity, but it's going to be good. You and I are going to be there, and we're going to be experiencing God's kindness and his grace and his, and his love forever and ever. Don't you want to go? Don't you want to go to heaven? Say, preacher, I want to go, but not on the next bus. I understand. You shouldn't want to die, but you should want to live for Christ. But want to go when he comes. All right, so verse 8, here's is the old famous two verses. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the conclusion of that three-verse section, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. A Christian will do the right stuff, because he's saved to do the right stuff. He's not saved because he does the right stuff. He's not kept by God because he does the right stuff. He's kept in the hand of God by the grace of God. But we, she, he, all of us that are saved, we're saved unto, he said, good works, which God planned before the foundation of the world, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in good works. A Christian should produce the fruit that identify him as belonging to God, her belonging to God, the fruits of Christ being real in their life. There it is, 
Verse 11. We get to our text. We just now got to the text. That's encouraging to do to those of you who want to get out early. Wherefore, remember that ye being times past Gentiles. We were not of the commonwealth of Israel. We are Gentiles outside the covenant. We were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand. So he's using the play on words that they all understood then that we probably don't get now. But the Jews were called the circumcision because they practiced the, the, the right of circumcision. The Jewish people practiced the right of circumcision to signify to signify the covenant of Abraham. The Gentiles didn't practice that, okay? Aren't you glad you don't have to get circumcised to be a Christian? I mean, just in case you haven't been, I'd hate for a 50-year-old man to have to experience that. I don't want to have anything to do with that service, by the way. I'd call a new minister to do that. I'm not going to do it. Okay? But we are the Gentiles outside the covenant of Abraham. That's what he's referring to. And you say, preacher, you, what are you talking about needing to be circumcised? They actually argued that in the first century, that Gentiles need to be circumcised if they're going to be a Christian. i got news for you. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You don't even have to be baptized to be a Christian. It's all faith in Christ, isn't it? Verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, ye, that's us, who sometimes were far off, far from God, are made nigh close to God by what? The blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that draws us and brings us near God. You say, preacher, if I quit sinning, will I get closer to God? Not without the blood of Christ. You're just another religious fanatic that's going to go to hell. You need to come through the blood. We sing about the blood, don't we? We're saved by the blood. It's all about the blood of Christ shed on Calvary's cross for our salvation. Now, verse 14. And he is our peace, our peace with God, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, for that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh, the Jews. And through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Key verse 18, through Jesus we have access to the Father. The only reason you and I are going to go into the presence of God in heaven is the access that was provided for us through Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And if you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you will not enter heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said that. 
Now, the Bible is divided into two testaments, and you probably know that, but I have met some people that don't know that. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the Old Testament is the covenant that God had with Israel that others could enter into by believing and following that, that covenant, but it was primarily addressed to the people of God, which were the Jews. After the Old Testament, we have the Gospels. There are no intermediate Bible verses. There's intermediate writings, but there's nothing between the two Testaments. Then you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have Acts, which is a trans transitional book. They were converting from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in the book of Acts. And if you'll read 1 through 10, actually 1 through 9, you'll see that there's uh, some confusion there because things are changing. But you see in chapter 10, there's a clear understanding that salvation is solely and absolutely through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, they're baptizing those believers that had uh, rejected Jesus and caused him to be crucified. Uh, they believe and are baptized, and the same shall be saved. But they're making penance for their uh, 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 being against the Messiah. It clears up by the time you get into the end of chapter 9. And what happens in chapter 9 that's vitally important to the New Testament is the salvation of the apostle sent to the Gentile people, which his name was Saul of Tarsus. If it was Wednesday night, I'd, I'd stretch this out and make the kids answer. Uh, but it was Saul of Tarsus, but now he is Paul the apostle. Chapter 9 is a very important chapter in the book of uh, Acts because the transitional disciple or transitional apostle is saved. He meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. He sees the Lord. The Lord reveals himself to him. He's a, an apostle born out of due time, right? After Jesus already ascended to heaven and he has been sent to the Gentiles, which is us, with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the book of Acts is a transitional book. We, it's taken us from the old covenant until we have a clear understanding from chapter 10 to the end, you get a clear understanding, gospel, salvation, the church, everything is understood clearly. So when you read the book of Acts, you need to understand in the verses chapter 1 through 9, you're transitioning from old covenant to new covenant. Just giving you that, something to carry home with you. Okay, now you have the epistles, and that's Paul writing to the Gentiles, writing to the church age, teaching us from... Uh, the latter part of the book of Acts all the way to the book of Revelation. And then we have the book of Revelation, which is prophecy, coming events, chapter 1, introduction, chapter 2 and 3, the church ages. We have seven church periods, have seven churches, and then all of the rest of it deals with the tribulation. Chapter 4 of Revelation, verse 1, we are taken up through the door. Who is the door? Jesus is the door. We're taken up through the door, and then the world is left to face God, to deal with their lostness, and some are saved out of that tribulation period. Now, verse 11 and 12, it says this in our text. Verse 11 and 12, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Now, as the Bible opens up, the New Testament opens up, we had this in our basic class this morning, had a real deep, very important uh, study in there. But as the Bible is opening up to be the church age, there's Jewish people that have been becoming followers of Christ and these Jewish people don't know what to do with these old covenant ideals, these old covenant thoughts. And, and, and what, what about circumcision? What about uh, going to uh, the, the temple to worship? And, and that's the place. And all kinds of things. I'll just mention in two. They had to be transitioned as the apostles wrote the New Testament, as they gave us new transition from that old covenant to understand the new covenant. So when you read the, 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 the books of Paul, when you read those Pauling epistles, you'll see there's a lot of things said to Jewish peoples that you're thinking, oh, why is that in there? He's carrying these people's understanding with them, transitioning from the old covenant people to the understanding of the new covenant. So when you read your Bible, there's some things that confuse you. There's some things that makes you think, well, if I don't walk the line, I'm going to hell, even though I believe in Christ. That, that's just people that hadn't got through the transition yet. They hadn't made the transition to clearly understand salvation is the, by the grace of God and solely on the blood of Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 8. For by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. Now, a person became a believer in the Old Testament, they had to follow the rites and the rituals, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah to die on the cross. That's all over with. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And then look at verse 13. For he, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So as he carries these Old Testament Jewish people, that Old Testament understanding as he carries them into the new uh, testament age he brings us that are far from god along with him to get an understanding of the grace of god i hope that made sense now what did jesus do i want to give you three things basically that occurred that, that there's more but three vital things number one when we uh, see Jesus coming to the cross, and when you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, he broke down all the walls of separation. Now, the walls of separation were extended very high. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see Jewish people coming into the Promised Land and destroying and killing all the people. Right? They're killing people. I don't want to justify all of that or try to explain why of all that. I don't even, I'm not able to do all that. But there's a complete change. All that separation is done away with. And, and there's some religious people that believed on Christ plus works uh, years ago that used to go back over there and kill people. Well, that set us off to a good relationship with the rest of the world. Christian, quote-unquote, going into the Middle East and killing people. Put us in good shape, didn't it? I'm talking about the Crusades. Notice verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The apostle tells us there is no longer a wall, a petition between us. 
We do not have to have a wall, a petition between us and the Jews anymore. By the way, we don't even need a wall of separation between lost people. We're not isolated in Jesus. We're insulated with Jesus. There's a big difference, amen? If you get isolated in Jesus, you become cult-like. We're insulated with Jesus. We're not in the world anymore. We're in Christ, and we can go anywhere, and we can be involved, and Christ keeps us. As long as you don't get farther out than you've got the mind to guide yourself with, you can go far out and come back, and you're all right. Jesus broke down the walls of separation. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says this, but there is neither, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We got that, right? We got that. Now listen, there's different roles in the church, but we're all the same in Jesus Christ. There's different roles. We have different, different places to play, but there's no separation. There's none better than the other. We're all, the ground is level at Calvary. When people come to Jesus Christ and become Christ, we are one. There is no social separation. There's no rich and then the poor. James got on to the church in the first century over them showing respect to the wealthy and disrespect to the common man. Slave, not slave, uh, emperor, whatever, all the same in Jesus Christ. In the church, we should not show respect nor disrespect to anyone if they're different. If they're on a different social ladder than us, we should respect the rich and the poor on the same level. And those of us who are poor, raised poor, need to respect those that are rich, which is maybe more difficult than the rich to respect the poor. I, don't, I never had the experience of being a rich respecting the poor, but I had the experience of being poor respecting the rich. There's no racial separation between us as a Christian. We're all one blood in Jesus Christ. Red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in His sight, and we're one. There's not two churches for different uh, racial backgrounds. Shouldn't be anyway. We should be one. There's no social separation, and there is no separation of male and female. By the way, there's only two genders, male and female. Anything else, you're mixed up. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm just saying you mixed up. We need to have compassion on people that are genuinely mixed up and have another, that there's others that have an agenda, right? So men and women equal in Jesus Christ. A man is not a superior to woman. A man is head of the home, but not superior. We both have, he's the head, she's the heart. Which one are you going to live without? Now, we're different in roles. But we have the same position in Jesus Christ. God loves you, male, female, whatever your background is, rich, poor, whatever. Saved people, now here's the point. Saved people are to love one another, forgive one another, work together with one another, and that should become nature to you, not have to be taught to you. I may have to teach you not to have any racial barriers. I might need to teach you not to have any social barriers. But there should be something in your heart that says, yes, that sounds true. That's the Holy Spirit. Saved people love one another. Now, religious people don't necessarily love one another. 
Religious people don't necessarily love them. But saved people do. And it's our nature to love one another. Uh, this love is a verification and authentication of our faith. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have doctrinally sound practices the same? No. He says, in that you have love one for another. The proof, the birthmark of Christianity in your soul is that you love one another. Do you love me? I'm about one of the easiest persons in this building to love. I'm so lovable. Do you love them people that are hard to love? Do you love those people that have fallen? Do you love those people that make mistakes? Hey, it doesn't have to agree with their mistakes. You don't have to go along with what they think or believe, but you, you need to have compassion in your heart for people. In our text, verse 14, he says this, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. It's Jesus that gives us peace about these things. He taught us these things. He lived these things. How did Jesus teach people in the New Testament? If you read your New Testament, you'll find that Jesus loved Jew, Gentile alike and everybody else in between. Remember when, I remember when I was a kid, some of you are, are old enough, you're, you're grown now and you're older as I am. I'm grown. You remember when, if you're my, you remember when they were having trouble in Beirut, 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 remember that? This is way before the Reagan era and everything. Uh, remember they, they said the Christians are fighting the Muslims. Now, as a Christian, that kind of confused me. I said, you know, my preacher tells me that I love people. My preacher tells me that, that I'm going to get along with people. And, and the Christians are fighting the Muslims in Beirut. That, that really confused me. And then I heard also as a, as a teenager, a young teenager, that in North Ireland, the Christians were uh, fighting the Catholics. How many, how many can identify with these things? When the Christians, did, did that not... Tell, did, did that speak to you? Did you question, or did you understand the political emphasis of what they were saying? I didn't understand the political thing until I heard all that, and then I started studying. But you know one that freaked me out the most? Here's the one that freaked me out the most. It's back in the early 60s when there was guerrilla warfare in Cuba. I said, how'd they teach them guerrillas how to carry a gun fight? Yeah, they got it done. Well, Jesus breaks down the wall, doesn't he? We're to love one another in Christ. The second thing that we need to look at, even more important, but not really less important, that Jesus broke down the wall between God and us. Now, remember this. There's two bars on the cross. There's the one that goes uh, vertical, and then the one that goes horizontal, and they're attached. When you make connection with God through the vertical, it should change your view on the horizontal. You love God, you love others. Two bars of the cross illustrate that. But notice in verse 15, having abolished in his flesh, in his flesh, in his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Jesus abolished the law of commandment that separated us from God. God tore down the walls in Jesus. 
and made salvation and the forgiveness of sin open to Jew and Gentile and everybody else in the world through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a wall that separated us, the commandments, and if you fail to live those commandments, you are lost in that era. Romans 15.4 For whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the Scripture, you might have hope. So, the New Testament gives us a different attitude towards the Bible, the Old Covenant. We're not to look at it and see the condemnation of it, but it should be a lesson for us to understand the value of the cross. The Old Testament law has no jurisdiction over us. Now, I know there's Christians today that says one of the problems that we have in a church today that we don't take people through the Ten Commandments when they make their decision to become a Christian. And if we were to take them through the Ten Commandments and show them where they violated the law, then they would be ready to become a Christian. I, think, I find that to be something unnecessary. You might want to take a Jewish person through that because they might need to know that because they've got a background in it. But I am just a heathen when I got saved. And you were too. See, the law points us to our need of salvation. That's fact. But there is no merit in that law whatsoever to make us a Christian. Romans chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. But now we are delivered from the law. What? But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter what shall we say then is the law sin no he says God forbid nay I had not known sin but by the law for I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet now the law has a tremendous value for societal purposes and we should follow it as a as, as a society Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt... And then should have, that, you know, the first four, the relationship with God, the last six, relationship to mankind. We got a vertical and a horizontal even in the commandments. But the law points us to our need for a Savior. It doesn't save us. It doesn't save us. We're saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did he abolish the law, verse 16 in our text, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. It's through the cross. It's simply through the cross. You don't have to have the commandments. You don't have to look at the law. You don't have to say, oh, I messed up on that one. Oh, I messed up on this one. You know, truthfully, we violated all ten of them. Haven't we? Because if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. But the fact is, to be saved, we look to the cross of Christ. That's why we keep a cross in our church. Now, I know it's not a good representation of the cross that Jesus died on. Neither is that silver one hanging around your neck. But we use them to remind us and to remind other people that we're saved through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thirdly today, as we look at this, Jesus made peace. By that cross, verse 15. Colossians chapter 2, verse 
14 says this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. See that cross over there? It's got some things nailed to it. There's, that's prayer requests that people have, and they took them up there. They wrote their prayer requests. They, they kind of nailed it to that cross, stuck it to that cross. Well, listen, Jesus nailed the commandments and the ordinances all on that cross, and he died. And when he died, he took it all down to the grave with him. And when he come up out of that grave, he left that in the grave. So if any of you are saying, I'm trying to destroy the old commandments, I got news for you. Jesus did it way before I was ever uh, called to preach. Verse 16 in our text, he says, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body altogether, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So people that say you got to live it, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to obey this, you got to obey that, they're just completely out of line. You got to follow the Spirit of God, you got to believe by faith, you got to truly be saved. You got to learn what the New Testament teaches us a Christian needs to do. We're in the hand of God, is that song that I illustrated with when we get. We can't fall out of that hand. Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile by the cross, slayed the enmity, got rid of the separation, put all of our guilt on him, all of our sins on him. He died for us. Remember watching those old War, War II movies where there'd be a grenade come into the foxhole and there'd be one soldier, it wouldn't have been me, but he fell on that grenade. Knowing that all would die, he died for that group of men in that foxhole, right? illustration of Christ when he died on that cross he died for us he did what we could not do he bare it he took it and he died and was buried and came out of the grave and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 21 a verse that you need to put a lot of memory in says for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew not sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him hey you need to study that verse if you don't understand completely about salvation, you study that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and you, you see if you've experienced that verse. Jesus broke down the walls between us. He broke down the wall between us and God. How did he do it? Through the power of his cross, and then he came preaching, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were not. When Jesus went up in the ascension to heaven, he gave a commandment to those apostles that followed him. He said, but ye shall be endued with power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. The commission of the apostles is the same commission that you and I have as Christians today. We're not to tell people about the Old Testament commandments. The Old Testament is written for our learning, for us to give wisdom and to understand the need of the cross, the need of salvation. But you and I are commissioned to preach the gospel of peace to our community and to our world, reconciling by the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus did it all, and then he died and he arose, and he ascended. And we have the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Those disciples didn't clearly understand it all when they were, were there that day. Neither did they understand it all in the first few years of ministry. But when the Apostle Paul came along, he clearly laid it straight. That for by grace are we saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you and I need to proclaim this message, this gospel that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that? How much do I need to know? All I need to know is an experience with God through believing in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want us to bow our heads and quietly stand this morning. The wall has been broken down. You can come to God. You can meet God. You can know God. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have peace with God when you come to Christ. And we simply want to invite you today to come and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for each one that's here. And Lord, I pray that people would feel at home here. And that if there's anyone that's outside of us, we pray that today they would feel at home. And Lord, if they're not a Christian, we pray that they'd come to Jesus. And if they're a Christian, we pray that they'd just come and be a part of what you're doing here. Now bless your word, bless your invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's sing that out. If you need to make a decision today, we invite you to come this morning. And without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. Uh, anyone, anyone, for any reason, you come. Just as I am waiting on to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee. Receive the offering today.